Welcome to When They Popped. Let's rewind to a simpler time together and dive deep into the music, movement, and mania behind our favorite Y2K celebrities and trends. Hosted by Kelsey and Mary, it's time for another episode of When They Popped. Hello, and welcome to When They Popped. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Mary. So welcome to our 30th episode. We can't believe it's been over half a year of pumping out episodes and connecting with you all. And we're just really grateful that you all are still listening. Because if you asked me six months ago, I'd say we only have five listeners, two of them (laughs) being me and Mary and one of them being our moms. We just are really grateful to you all for listening and sharing and recommending our pod to your fam, friends, and whoever else in your life loves all things nostalgia and pop culture. So for our big three O episode, we had to bring it back to our favorite music of all time. We talk about music so much on this podcast. Mm -hmm. It really is our love language. Mary and I were really torn over who we should cover in this episode. So we decided to just do both of the people that we were obsessed with in early 2000s and celebrate two of our favorite songstresses and musicians, piano woman Vanessa Carlton and guitarist queen Michelle Branch. Both of these ladies generated songs of the year for us at different points. So we just needed to give these ladies some love. And you'll see throughout the episode that a lot of people compared and contrast them against one another throughout their careers. So we thought it was fitting to group these two ladies together. So Mary, I know you have some really exciting news for us for today. And I'm really dying for you to share it. Well... We have some Y2K news for you to know. And as Kelsey so aptly said, music is our love language. And we have some exciting music news for you all today. First of all, being Nick Carter announcing his tour. And you know we are Backstreet Boys girlies here. I am specifically a Nick Carter girl. So I am very much excited to be going on his, attending his Who I Am 2023 tour Going on um, tour. I'm going on that. tour. She's going with on him. tour with them. <laughs> if I could, I would, but I cannot. But he has like six states in Florida, which like checks out being a Florida guy, and I'm a Florida gal. So I will definitely be gold VIP backstage sound check at at least one of those. So very excited for that. Hopefully we'll get some of his original Nick Carter songs. It sounds like he's gonna do a lot of covers. And uh, maybe he'll throw a couple of BSB songs in there as well. He's got to. He's got a little I Need You Tonight. (laughs) He has to. But again, I could talk about this for an hour, but I will not. The other news that we just got from Will I Am 50 minutes ago on Instagram is he announced a new single with Britney coming out tomorrow. So by then we will have had some really strong opinions by it. So check out our Instagram because I'm sure Mary is posting about it. Oh my God. I'll have something to say. I don't think this is a recently recorded song. I was going to say, Mary, like, do you think that they were in the same room and they did, or do we think we're getting another like Elton John Oh yeah. Since Hold Me Closer was like 10 years ago. No, I think this is probably an older track. And if not an older track, they did not go to the studio together and record. They did it separately, but my money's on an older track, but I'm excited to see what they came up with however long ago. <laughs> Do you have any inkling of like what it might be, Mare? Any predictions? Well, it's called Mind Your Business. Oh, and, and it, it definitely sounds like it has some sass to it. So I'm excited to take it all in. Anyone <laughs> deserves to have a little sass. It's, it's Britney, bitch. Britney. It's Britney, bitch. Oh, and Lindsay had her baby today. Oh, what? my God. Oh, my is, God. Mary, that you is, buried the lead. I forgot. Lindsay Lohan did indeed have her baby today. He was born in Dubai, and Luai is an Arabic name meaning shield or protector. And oh. actually, he may not have been born today. Just the birth was confirmed today. Congrats to Linz. I'm so excited for her. Lindsay has come so far. I really hope that she is at peace and enjoys the new stage of motherhood. It's going to be great for her. I know. I'm excited. Oh, did we talk about Britney's book? Oh, my oh, God. I don't, th- I don't think we did last week. Okay, also, back to Britney, bitch. Oh, my God. <laughs> Britney has a book coming out. I saw a lot of fighting on the internet about if Britney <laughs> wrote the book. Britney obviously has a ghostwriter. Like, everybody has a ghostwriter. I mean, I'm sure Britney sat there and, like, word vomited 
things to this ghostwriter. And Brittany is a published author as well, but she's probably always worked with like some sort of ghostwriter. And in this case, she definitely is. It's been confirmed. But that does not mean that I did not pre-order my book and I'm taking PTO on October 25th to read it in full and hopefully do a reaction episode or something like that because we will have some thoughts. We're going to do a Brittany book club. So if you want to be a part of our Brittany book club, DM us on Instagram. We'll all pick our favorite passage and we'll have some like fun discussion questions. Okay. I got to wrap this up because there's just so much and we already have so much to talk about. Before we jump in, just a quick disclaimer, we do not own or claim to own the rights to the songs or performances in this episode. The purpose of these clips is for commentary and critique. So let's get to it. We are starting off with the one and the only Michelle Branch. Michelle Jacket de Severin Branch. <laughs> Jacquet? Am I, am I saying it wrong? <laughs> I don't know, but I love how you pronounced it. All the swag. Just fake confidence. Michelle was born in Sedona, Arizona on July 2nd, 1983. She's a fellow Cancerian crab like myself. Can hear all those emotions in her lyrics. I love it. So a common trend with our Y2K kings and queens, similarly with Michelle, she started singing at a very young age, to be exact, three years old, and was in vocal lessons by eight years old. Monumentally, she received her first guitar for her 14th birthday, and the rest, they say, is history. After teaching herself chords, she composed her first song, Fallen, within a week of receiving her guitar. And during this time, she was attending high school in Arizona. However, by the time she reached junior year, she switched to homeschooling so that she could just focus on her music career. It's obvious Michelle had her family support and backing and pursuing her music. It's clear they believed in her. And, you know, we love to see that. Notably, her parents helped her book local gigs in Sedona and later actually financed her independent album, Broken Bracelet. And in December of 1999, she posted two of her songs on the Rolling Stone website. And like, side note, who knew you could do that? Like, you just could like upload your songs to rollingstone.com. Like, I just I no know right? that was <laughs> like, who knew? And as luck would have it, these songs caught the attention of former Rolling Stone writer and L.A. record producer Jeff Rabin and also caught the attention of Hanson. Ever heard of them? This eventually led to Michelle getting two gigs opening up for Hanson in 2000. Literally insane. And what an amazing platform for her. I totally feel like their vibes are similar. So get this. This is kind of a cool story. As I mentioned, in June 2000, Michelle's parents funded and Michelle actually self-produced her first album called Broken Bracelet. The album was a compilation of songs she wrote starting from when she was 14. And the album was released on an independent record label Twin Dragon Records. So you may ask, what is the inspiration behind an album title like Broken Bracelet? Well, let me tell you this little nugget. The title was inspired from a bracelet made by the pop singer Jewel. And it was actually given to Michelle by a musician named Steve Poltz at a Lisa Loeb concert that Michelle was at. So Jewel made this bracelet, gave it to Steve Poltz. Steve Poltz and Michelle were both attending a Lisa Loeb concert. And if you're like me and you never heard of Steve Poltz, don't worry. He's a founding member of this indie rock band called The Rugburns, and he collaborated on several songs with Jewel. So Steve gave Michelle this bracelet, and he told her to never take it off and that when it breaks, you'll be famous. Chills. I love that. It's like those wish bracelets that used to be like a big thing like yeah. 10, 15 years ago. That's so cute. I couldn't find, I couldn't give you any details as to how Michelle and Steve like got connected at this concert and, you know, what inspired him to give her this bracelet and all that jazz. But she clearly was starting to rub shoulders with the right people. And in 2001, Michelle signed a recording deal with Maverick Records, and that's when she began working with John Shanks to produce her first album. We obviously just talked about John Shanks in our last episode celebrating the 19th anniversary of Ashley Simpson's autobiography, and I definitely can hear the Shank influences in both albums. We love John this is a pro John Shanks mm. pod. You would be amazed how much that man like had his hands on at this time and like this wide variety of genre and music. So Michelle and John got together, worked, worked, worked. And the result was <laughs> The Spirit Room. And that was released in August of 2001. It debuted at number 28 on the Billboard charts. 
sold 68,000 copies in its first week and spent a total of 86 weeks on the chart. Making Damn. it, I know that's like, is that like a year? It's over like, a year. Yeah, it's like years on the chart. Almost two years. And every single track on the album was at the very least co written, if not written by our talented Miss Michelle on her own. And it was certified double platinum after it sold over 2 million copies. Fun fact the album title comes from the name of a bar in Jerome, Arizona near Michelle's hometown of Sedona. So I wonder if the spirit room's still there today serving spirits. I really hope so. We should go there and <laughs> slam our own spirits when we listen to Michelle. <laughs> they must play her there on loop, I would hope. But the first single off this momentous album is the one and the only Mega Smash Everywhere. Cause you're You're everywhere. You're everywhere. That like iconic <laughs> ah, breathiness at the end of everything. Turn it inside out so I can see. I could sing this song all day, every day, and truly never get sick of it. It just is one of those songs that just feels good when you sing it. It's mm. like cathartic. It's just as good today as it was in 2001, I'll tell you that. But it was co-written by Michelle and John Shanks, and Michelle obviously played her guitar and piano on the track. Now, here's a little background on Everywhere. While Michelle was still living with her parents in Sedona, she wrote the first run of this song in 1998 when she was just 15 years old. And after she turned 17, Danny Strick, an executive A&R manager at Maverick Records, saw her performing as an opening act for Hanson. And he noticed that the crowd responded really well to her music. So he decided, I have to have this girl on my label. So she then played this song for John Shanks, who was like, okay, I'm down. I'll produce this track. And then we officially got it as a single on July 10th, 2001, just eight days after Michelle's 18th birthday. Woo, what a present. Everywhere was a commercial success and it peaked at number 12 on the Billboard Hot 100. Oh my God, happy 22nd birthday to this song. I know. And happy belated birthday to Michelle. I can't believe she was only 18. Like, what the hell? That always like blows my mind because I feel like I was just like rollerblading in my garage at 18, like not doing anything productive. Every time we like learn about a Y2K star and we learn how like young they were creating and coming up with these concepts, my mind just like explodes because they're clearly special. Destined. So everywhere, the lyrical content of the song, it was left intentionally ambiguous by Michelle. She actually stated in an interview that she did not write this song from personal experience. And in 2001, Michelle told MTV that she actually prefers when her songs are more ambiguous in nature so that anyone can relate to it without like recalling specific events. Maybe that's why her songs have such an impact, at least on me. Like they aren't boxed for certain emotions or times. They don't fit in one singular box. They can apply to a ton of different situations. I feel like this song could maybe be about a romantic partner or maybe even like a loved one who's passed. Like the limit does not exist. It does not fit in one box. That's funny. I never really even paid that much attention to the lyrics. Just the way that she sang it with such yeah. spunk. It made you feel something when you listened to it. Just the way that she conveyed all that emotion. She definitely is like a feisty singer. Passion, emotion, definitely. Besides commercial success, the single experienced a lot of critical acclaim. Billboard likened the song to a shot of tequila when compared to other pop music of the time, praising its mood, lyrics, and production. Interestingly, and also very relevant to this episode, Sean Richardson of Boston Phoenix described Everywhere's chorus as unforgettable dream pop and compared the track to Vanessa Carlton's debut single, A Thousand Miles. While I do understand the comparison between the women on some level, I'm not sure if these are the songs I would use for that comparison. I don't know. What do you think? Right. It's like, can we not have two brunette pop rock princesses at the same right. time? Lol. But I do feel like there's some synergy. They're both young, super talented. They have a lot of energy in the way that they sing and perform. And, you know, the guitar was to Michelle what the piano was to Vanessa. They do understand why they would pull these two musicians into the same category. Yeah. And that's why I'm so glad that we're talking about both ladies on today's app. A hundred percent. And not only was this song 
popular the music video also won the 2002 mtv vma viewers choice award and peaked at number four on trl the music video was directed by liz friedlander she directed ashley simpson's shadow and worked with the likes of avril lavigne simple plan celine dion and alanis morissette Okay, so the director's a legend in her own right. And in this video, we see Michelle spying on a man in the opposite apartment building while she takes photographs of him and plays her guitar in an empty room. Finally, like, he sees her watching him and they finally meet at the end of the video. (laughs) This video, so you on Netflix coded, like... If anyone tried to come out with something like this now, they would get eaten alive by yeah, Like I agree. It's very you vibes, but obviously not intended. But Michelle was involved in the selection of the actor portraying her love interest in this music video. And she told MTV that when the producer showed her a photo of Jake Muxworthy, the man in the apartment across the way in this music video, she told them, this is it. He has to be in it. And playing opposite Jake proved to be a little difficult for Michelle, who later admitted she had a little bit of a crush on him. Ugh, celebs, they're just like us. Yeah, one thing about us is uh, we're going to have a little crush. <laughs> also, shout out to my New England girlies in this video. Michelle is wearing a shirt with Avon, Connecticut on it. What? I know it seems so random, but like it's there and she posted a photo of it a couple years ago to her twitter she's like look what i found i was like michelle branch connecticut like roots but no she's from arizona i know right (laughs) i think it just looks like one of those cool distressed cap sleeve shirts that you would run to aeropostal and yeah and pitch and get i don't know i think it was literally supposed to be just like random graphic tea (laughs) i need to know if there's any backstory to that but Everywhere is just like pop perfection to me and not like in the bubblegum pop way because this is not bubblegum pop, but the the energy in her vocals, the energy in the music and just the melody is just like super upbeat and poppy in my opinion. I feel like this is like a perfect rom-com song that will continue to see and hear everywhere, pun intended, for years to come. I feel like I could see you, Kelsey, just like screaming this in your car. Well... it's definitely happened and will continue to happen 1000% (laughs) but we got another single off of Spirit Room and that was given to us on January 7th 2002 and she gave us another banger you guys all you wanted oh my god another alt pop bop that is forever in my brain oh my god when she's like so lonely inside so busy out there Like, the way that she, like, enunciates her words, this song just sounds like teenage angst. And oh, I think yes. that's why I was so drawn to it. Yes, because we were angsty AF. <laughs> For no reason. Literally, I had no reason. All You Wanted was written by Michelle Branch, all on her own, and was produced by the incredible John Shanks. Noticing the theme here. And the single actually surpassed the success of Everywhere, and it peaked at number six on the Billboard charts, and it gave Michelle her first top 10 hit, and it stayed there for 26 weeks. Michelle has since detailed that the song is about a heartbreak. Quote, I feel like everybody wants to find someone who you feel understood by and will be there to catch you when you fall. And that's what All You Wanted is about. End quote. Just like Everywhere, this song and Michelle were met with a ton of critical acclaim. Get those flowers, girl. And the music video for All You Wanted was again directed by Liz Freelander and in 2002 was nominated for Best Female Video and Best Pop Video at the VMAs. But that's not all. The third and final single we got from the Spirit Room was Goodbye to You. AKA a song I will forever associate with Laguna Beach. This song is a song I have to listen to only at certain times. It's really sad and heartfelt that my sensitive little self needs to be careful because when I listen to songs like this, I get sad. (laughs) But that only speaks to how good the song is. And Michelle, 
is it singing and songwriting that part i want you but i'm not giving in this time you know that last one uh i want you but i'm not giving in this time kelsey Ooh. did you stand good job hitting that note mare that's oh, good no. uh, oh, he's ready you. for backstreet karaoke in cancun yeah. anyways i freaking love this song this was the song that i played at like high school graduation when i was leaving for college oh, <laughs> like on all of our like playlists like burn cds yes. this was like goodbye high school like see hags have a good summer see you never <laughs> hags oh my I god loved it. so Goodbye to You was released on July 6, 2002, so like four days after Michelle's birthday, and it peaked at 21 on the top 100 and remained on the charts for 20 weeks. This was now Michelle's third top 20 hit. She's three for three, baby. Again, not too shabby for our girl. This ballad was written by Michelle alone and again, produced by, you guessed it, John Shanks. The song was first recorded for her debut album, Broken Bracelet, and was later re-recorded for inclusion on The Spirit Room. Again, this woman was just oozing talent at such a young age. I just cannot get over it. It really was like the peak of despair in high school. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when she's like, and it hurts to want everything Every- and oh. nothing at the same time. And it hurts to want everything and nothing at the same time. Like, uh, I couldn't have so put it better good. myself. So I put it in my away message. <laughs> Me too, I'm sure. This music video depicts Michelle at the beach. She's in her car. She's driving away from all her troubles and singing towards the ocean. That sounds like a great plan and day to me. And the video was notably directed by Frances Lawrence. Side note, Frances Lawrence directed mega movies like I Am Legend, Constantine, The Hunger Games, and also Lady Gaga's Bad Romance music video, just to like skim the surface (laughs) of things that he's worked on. The video's story is set in reverse, which is like a unique twist. And Michelle has said that the format is supposed to emulate the 2000 film Memento, which I never saw. So let me know if that's true. Also, we have to talk about the goldfish. She's like letting a goldfish go like in the ocean at the beach. Like, did we confirm that it's a saltwater goldfish? (laughs) She's concerned. And I fear that this is another video that wouldn't have aged well in today's day and age of the internet. Is the goldfish okay? What happened to the goldfish? Like, it was, like, Like, in the sink of the motel. And I was just really concerned about, like, what if someone's trying to brush their teeth? He was put in a little motel cup with one of those, you know, they have those paper crinkly covers on them. Yes. That's how she brought him to the beach. Like, one little bump in the road. And he's out there. Oh, my. I cannot take that stress for our poor little goldfish. Michelle performed this song on a 2001 episode of Buffy, a 2003 episode of Charms. It can be heard in the infamous 2004 episode of Laguna Beach and the finale of The Hills. Also, it was used in 2009 as the Dancing with the Stars elimination song. Uh Well, if that isn't the peak of fame right there. (laughs) I also wanted to mention a non-single and another favorite of mine from The Spirit Room. And that is the song You Set Me Free. This was written by Michelle and, you know, I'm pretty sure it was on the Ice Princess soundtrack and it was just a really pretty, simple love song, beautiful love song. This is the song that I listened to on loop all day today. (sighs) This song is so happy. It makes me feel like I'm in one of those tampon commercials. I had not listened to this song in so long. So like, thank you for the reminder (laughs) because to me, this song is such a forgotten treasure. I'm going to add this to our Y2K playlist on Spotify. So if you aren't following it, you should. Did you have any other songs from this album that you were into, Kaus? So I had this on CD for sure. And I, you know, Mm -hmm. you can only listen to one CD in your Walkman at a time. So when I committed to this album for like long drives, I would listen to the top four songs on loop. (laughs) I rarely (laughs) made it to the second half of the album. But when I did, the rare occasion, I did really like if I fell asleep or something (laughs) and then I woke up still playing. I really liked If Only She Knew. (laughs) 
to me, the chorus sounds really similar to You Set Me Free, which may be why uh. I love it so much. And I think they tried to like separate them far away from each other because they do sound oh. a little similar. I also really love Sweet Misery. I just think it's really pretty and it has that fun like Y2K like echoey sound like a share believe effect in the beginning. Just very fun. This album is definitely full of like hidden treasures and gems. And just talking about this album really kind of opened my eyes to Michelle and her career trajectory. Like it's kind of crazy to me because I feel like she got famous super fast. And I know a lot of our Y2K queens, they will struggle for a while before they taste the sweet success. I'm sure it felt like an eternity to Michelle herself. But like in 2000, she released Broken Bracelet, opened for Hanson, got signed by a label. And then in 2001, released Spirit Room and just had like banger after banger on this album. Like that's pretty quick. And not to drop parallels too early, but our girl Vanessa saw a similar trajectory, which again, Uh. I think is why people often group them together because they both were just there one day and then never left and they were just in our collective psyche forever (laughs) just like popped up out of nowhere almost and with songs of the year that still are bangers to this day so in september 2002 so that's the same year that goodbye to you was released and basically only a year and a month after the spirit room was released Michelle teamed up with the iconic rock band Santana to produce and appear on the song The Game of Love. Oh my God, I forgot about this song and I love it so much. I'm so glad that I was deep diving into Michelle and got to be reminded of it because it's so good. The song peaked at number five on the charts, stayed there for 37 weeks, and I wasn't sure about it at first. I was like, Santana, like, this is something some of my parents probably listen to. Like, I'm not into it, but like, I was too quick to judge because when I heard Michelle's voice on that track and like her chorus, I just love this song. What did you think, Kels? I agree that it was a song made for the radio that was meant to be like palatable for all ages. Yeah. It's definitely not my favorite by her, but I'm really glad that it brought her that recognition. I think that's what bridged her to like our parents and like people a little bit older than us who maybe weren't relating to her angsty teenage music as much as we were. So I definitely believe it was the right career move for her. Okay, so... Fair enough. This was definitely a favorite of mine. I get it wasn't a favorite of yours, but this is like an interesting story plot twist that I learned in my research. So Santana had originally recorded this duet with New Radicals frontman Greg Alexander, but the album producer Clive Davis, ever heard of him, felt that like a female voice would maximize the song's appeal. So they turned first to the legendary Tina Turner, rest in peace four vocals on this song, and they actually laid down the track. However, Tina, being the queen she is, did not want to participate in any subsequent music video for the song. So Clive Davis then recruited Queen Macy Gray to record a replacement vocal for this song. For whatever reason, Clive did not like how it turned out. And the rest is history as our girl, Michelle Branch, who had literally been in the industry for a year and a month, got the call and was asked to record the song with Santana. And because she is such a multifaceted queen, she was also asked to play guitar on the track. So just a little reminder that the universe is working out the way that it's meant to, because honestly, I cannot imagine that song without Michelle's voice. I know. And it's just so wild that so many icons I know. were considered. Like, what an honor for Michelle to step right? in. And also, what a testament to how just her skyrocketing fame that her name even popped into their head. After like a year in the industry, like, speaks a lot to her, obviously. From Oblivion to Santana. That's crazy. Exactly. A big jump. But so... On that note, Kels, this is when the big award nominations start coming in. Game of Love went on to win a Grammy Award for the best pop collaboration with vocals. And in 2003, Michelle earned a Grammy nomination. Finally, 
not for best album, but for best new artist, which was ultimately won by Nora Jones. But I was just happy to see that she was finally getting some recognition. I would say at this point, Michelle is popping off. The woman is popping, having major success on her own, working with legends, topping the charts left and right. And in true fashion, the label wanted her to continue and strike while the proverbial flame was still hot. So on June 24th, 2003, her next album, Hotel Paper, was released and it debuted at number two on the Billboard charts and stayed on the charts for 33 weeks. Wow. This became Michelle's first top 10 album debut and highest first week sales to date. It was certified platinum for selling over 1 million copies. And as per the usual trend, Michelle wrote every single track on the album with contributions and production coming from the John Shanks. That is a partnership that was made in heaven. (laughs) Truly. So we got three singles from this album. The first being, Are You Happy Now? Could you love me? which was released on May 19th, 2003. And this song was a Michelle Shank brainchild, and it peaked at number 16 on the charts, stayed there for 20 weeks. It also earned Michelle yet another Grammy nomination for Best Female Rock Performance, which ultimately went to Pink for her song, Trouble. I loved this song too. Another one I had forgotten about and revisited. I just completely forgot how much she has in her discography. That final bridge before her last chorus, I just see here so much angst and frustration in her vocals. It's like super authentic to me. Come on, Thoughts on this one, Kels? I agree. It's so edgy. Again, it's like really appealed to my angsty self back Mm -hmm. then. It felt like it could have been a continuation of Spirit Room, like a little bit darker, a little bit edgier. I think I remember reading the reviews that this one was more polished, the critics believed. But also, Mm. didn't Dave Navarro play guitar on this one? He was definitely edgy and cool. Yeah, gives her some street cred. Ooh, I like that. See, fun fact I didn't know. So thank you for pointing that out. We're not done, though. Her next single, another amazing and timeless rom-com song, in my opinion, which came out on September 22nd, 2003. And that song is Breathe. If I just breathe. Another Shanks and Branch collab. Wow. Talk about a great song to scream off tune in your car. Did you like this one, Kels? Were you screaming this one? Uh, Yeah. I think anybody with ears likes this song. It feels (laughs) like when Andy throws her phone into the fountain at the end of Devil Wears Prada. Uh, Or like taking off your brawee after a long day. (laughs) Or like smelling the ocean for the first time in the summer. It just brings all the happy vibes. Like Mm -hmm. you just broke up with your toxic boyfriend and you're not afraid of looking weird anymore. I don't know. I just love it so much. It's very like a liberating song, upbeat, happy, catchy, everything about it. And it peaked at 36 on the charts and stayed there again for 18 weeks. This was Michelle's sixth top 40 hit in basically like three years. Like that is hugely impressive. Also, this is weird to me. This song also became a top five club hit, which is like kind of odd to me because I don't know if I like want this vibe in the club. Like I want this like when I'm pretending I'm in a rom-com or something. So like, I don't know how people were like dancing to this in the club in 2002, but like whatever, still extremely impressive. I mean, I would literally do anything to have this song come on at the club. Like, I would Venmo any DJ generously to play this song at the club. Oh, my God. I wouldn't know what to do. But I don't know what to do at the club anyways. So, if like, I there's... Just... <laughs> I think it's just, like, one of those moments that turns into a collective dance party and everyone looks at the person next to them and their mouth is wide open. They're like, oh, my God, I love this song. Yeah. Like, that would be fun. Like, just singing along. But we got a music video for this song, and it was directed by Mark Classfield. He's worked on over 200 music videos. And for the demographic of this pod, you may know him from his work with NSYNC and Nelly on the Girlfriend Remix music video or Backstreet Boys Just Want You to Know music video. Anyhow, this music video shows Michelle playing with her band inside a house bit by bit. 
in the house as well as everything in it begins to dissolve, revealing a sunny beach outside. I'm, I'm getting a beach vibe for some of her videos, definitely. And eventually Michelle loses her guitar out to sea and she and her band just finish playing at the beach. So another music video with a big wig directing it. And finally, we got one more single off Hotel Paper, and that was Till I Get Over You. And it had no music video, and it failed to chart, which is like a very interesting and stark change from how she had been performing with her previous singles like everything goes top 50 or lower and this one doesn't even blip on the radar kind of wonder what happened and like i had never really remembered hearing this song prior to researching this episode so i did a little digging and listened to it and (laughs) now i get it so like it definitely doesn't give me like single radio friendly vibes it's very slow sad low tempo i understand a bit more why it didn't do very well it just didn't seem as strong yeah what the heck this one did not ring a bell for me even when i listened to it i was like huh Hmm. yep same page but apparently this album hotel paper was met with some mixed reviews but there are still a ton of good songs in this album and like how do you match the success of spirit room as i said this was even more successful than spirit room technically so it's not like it was a bad album by any means. Anyways, on a more personal note, in May of 2004, Michelle married her bass player, Teddy Landau, in Mexico. And in August of 2005, Michelle gave birth to their daughter, Owen. It's wild to think that Michelle has legitimately an 18-year-old daughter right now because she does not look old enough to have an 18-year-old daughter. But just to flash forward, Michelle and Landau actually ended up divorcing in November of 2015. But right around the time when she was pregnant with Owen in July of 2005, Michelle began collaborating with her backup singer and longtime friend, Jessica Harp. They were initially known as the Cass County Home Records, which was like an inside joke, I guess, created by Landau, her husband at the time. But they trimmed it down to the records. And I definitely knew the records from like hearing them on shows like One Tree Hill. But little baby Mary did not put together that this was Michelle Branch back then. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So they released an album which attempted to kind of combine their respective genres, pop, rock and country. And the duo's first single, Leave the Pieces, was released in February of 2006. While their album Stand Still, Look Pretty was released in May of that same year, and the album was actually certified gold. So I revisited Leave the Pieces to prep for this episode, and I totally love this song. I completely forgot about it. I definitely listened to it growing up, but again, had no idea who I was listening to. (laughs) No, I totally remember being like, wait, Michelle's in a band now? Like, what's going on? But I just remember (laughs) being so excited to get new Michelle's music when this came out. I loved it. More angst and like moody. I'm all for that. So the ladies were actually nominated for a 2006 CMA Award for Duo of the Year and a Grammy Award for Best Country Performance by a Duo or Group with their song Leave the Pieces. During this period, the records contributed to Santana's album. They appeared on One Tree Hill and they joined Rascal Flats on their U.S. tour. That's a pretty impressive run, and they ultimately split in 2007. In December 2010, Michelle announced her return to music and to her pop rock roots with her album West Coast Time. And, uh, Kels, this is so frustrating. It's a tale as old as time. The album just kept getting delayed, 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 and eventually was never released. Once again, I get the sense hear that Michelle was kind of at the mercy of her label on this. So sad they kind of put artists through this thing. It it reminded me of Jesse McCartney a little bit. It's really devastating. And again, I feel like this is a theme that we'll see with our girl Vanessa too. I know. Just like support your musicians on your label. I don't understand. I really don't get it. It's like, do they think that there's like a shelf life on certain artists? I'd love to see like the unreleased like the non-PC emails about how they decide who gets what resources. Same. We need that data. Please share it. But in the interim, you know, Michelle kept continuing to create and work on music. And in 2015, Michelle is working on different things. She actually met 
Patrick Carney of the Black Keys at a Grammy party, and the two started dating. Now, remember, Michelle and her husband actually divorced as well in 2015, so she was single and ready to flamingo. (laughs) More on her and Patrick Carney in a bit, because there was that whole major drama with them this past year. But in April 2017, after much promise, we finally got a new album from Michelle after multiple lost and unreleased albums, and that's called Hopeless Romantic. So Michelle had been dating Patrick from the Black Keys since 2015, and in 2019, they welcomed their first child together, Michelle's second child, and that was a son, Reese, and he was born in August of 2018. Michelle and Patrick got married just a year later on April 20th, 2019. Okay, I'm really glad you know how to pronounce her son's name because it's spelled (laughs) R-H-Y-S, and I literally had no idea how to pronounce it. (laughs) I think there's some actors. Jonathan Reese Myers. I don't know. I love it. She has such cool names. Like going back to our Mary Kate and Ashley episode, a girl named Owen. Like, oh, yes. Riley and Chloe. It's so good. So cool. In true pandemic fashion, Michelle did a live stream performance in January of 2021. And she confirmed that she would be re recording the Spirit Room to celebrate its anniversary. And we actually got that re recording in October of 2021. Then in February of 2002, she gave birth to her second daughter, her third child, and her second child with Patrick. And that was a sweet girl named Willie, another cool name. In July of 2002, Michelle released her newest single, I'm a Man. Which was included on her fourth studio album, The Trouble with Fever. And that came out on September 16th, 2022. Now, I mentioned the drums a little bit earlier, and I'm sure many of you know what I'm talking about. On August, yeah, uh, on August 11th, 2022, Michelle announced her separation from Patrick after accusing him publicly of infidelity. Michelle actually tweeted, Quote, just found out my husband cheated on me, dot, 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 while I was home with our six-month-old daughter, end quote. I know, just like, ugh. She probably immediately regretted that. I want to knife him for doing that. Like, there's just so many, like, ugh. But then it gets worse. The next day or that morning, she was arrested on domestic assault charges, having allegedly slapped her husband. And I know Billboard then reported that the charges against Michelle were dropped at the request of the state. However, they were separating. Michelle and Patrick were separating with the intention of divorcing. However, the big twist and something I didn't realize prior to researching for this episode, this September, Patrick and Michelle filed to suspend their divorce proceedings to attempt reconciliation. And then February, the couple walked the Grammy red carpet together, which to me signaled that they at least remain amicable and are in a healthy position to co-parent and honestly could mean that they're completely back together. You know, who knows? Do you remember when this all went down, Kels? Oh, yeah. It turned into like an immediate meme. Mm-hmm. Everyone was like, go, Michelle. Yeah, slap him. Like, he's crazy for yes. calling the police on his lap. Like, I just remember it. she was sort of catapulted back into mm-hmm. pop culture in that moment. And it's just really sad that that's the reason why everyone was talking about her. I know. But to end on a positive note, she's currently on tour. And you can do a VIP meet and greet with Michelle Branch for less than 200 bucks. So jump on it, people, and get a pic with Michelle and post it and tag us in it and support our girl. Support our girl. Mayor, that was really illuminating. So thank you for doing our girl Michelle justice. I feel like I learned a lot. And now it's my turn to teach you about my girl, Vanessa. Similarly to Michelle, Vanessa found success really quickly. And her first album, Be Not Nobody, which was released in 2002, reached number five on the Billboard charts. It went platinum, largely thanks to her debut single, A Thousand Miles. Ever heard of it? This is one of those songs that like if you hear that classic piano intro, 
Like everybody knows that intro. The whole world and their mamas know this song. She does a little bit of the Michelle Branch gruff too. If I could fall into the sky. If I could fall into the sky. Do you think time would pass me by? No. Do you think time <laughs> would pass us by? So she does a little bit of like the. But a thousand miles, I'm with you. You could not get away from this song, even if you wanted to. But who would want to? Because it's so iconic. And it spent 41 weeks on the Billboard Hot 100. It earned three Grammy noms. And it was Vanessa's top performing single of her career. So yeah, you could say she started with a bang. So very much like Michelle, Vanessa wrote a lot of her own stuff. And she said that the song was inspired by a crush that she had on a Juilliard student who according to her, is now, quote, a very famous actor. So mm. she was attending the School of American Ballet while she fell head over heels for this Juilliard student. She also said she felt like she had a better chance of falling up than ever having a relationship with this person. Ooh, she called okay. the song a combination of reality and fantasy. It's <laughs> about a love that so consumes you that you do anything for it. That's how I felt at the time, even <sighs> walking a thousand miles, allegedly. So not only is she musically inclined, but she's also a talented dancer. If she was at the School of American American Ballet while she wrote this song. So I just really need to know, who do we think this crush is? Who do we think inspired this song? This is new tea for me. I'm clueless. Tell me. Okay, well, it's not actual tea because this is all speculation to the okay. highest degree. <laughs> okay, so let's hear it. This is my like back of the napkin mm. nap. So <laughs> Vanessa was born in 1980 and she was 14 when she went to the School of American Ballet. So she was 14 mm. when she got the inspiration for this song. That's Again, young, talented queen. So let's say she was there in 1994. And here's my theory. Based on my very fast and loose and (laughs) definitely inaccurate research, I believe the hunky crush to be Adam Driver. Oh, wow. Interesting. That's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. I also just rewatched Girls in its entirety, so maybe that's what's influencing me. But mother background around the song, she wrote the piano riff. In the summer of 1998 at her parents' house when she was just 18 years old. And fun fact, her mother was a piano teacher. So this was in her blood. And when she played the song for her mom, she was like, you need to finish that song. Like, that is magic right there. Oh, my God. So another talented 18-year-old just, like, blowing me out of the water. I remember reading how she, at two years old, visited Disneyland. And, like, when they got home, she was able to, like, earplay It's a Small World on the piano. And her mom was like, okay, time to start cultivating my little talented baby here. Exactly. I wonder if there's (laughs) got to be some, like, genetics involved. And I'm sure reading music is much easier when you start from a very young age. But, like, I took piano lessons and it just, like, didn't work out for me. (laughs) So (laughs) I just have so much admiration for piano players. You have to do so many things. You have to move your feet and one hand at a different time than the other. Like, there's just so much happening there. Anyways, even her mom recognized that this was the kind of song that it was going to be a hit one day. So her mom heard the riff. She was like, you need to finish this song. And while Vanessa was looking for a record label that would sign her, she played the beginning of this song for a record producer. And he was like, oh my God, you need to finish that stat. Mm. And she did. She finished it in just an hour, but she named it Interlude. So we'll come back to that. Okay. So this song took 14 sessions to record. 14. That's like a lot, I feel like. I don't know the typical session, but that seems like higher than average. So they were like, all right, we'll hit pause on talking about you wanting to call it interlude, Vanessa. (laughs) So 14 (laughs) sessions later, they have this song. And even after it was finished, she was fighting with the president of her label, Ron Fair of A&M Records, about changing its name. He was like, I hate interlude and I really need you to figure this out. But she was really (laughs) standing her ground and she was like, I want to call it interlude. So the first time anybody heard this song was in Legally Blonde, you know, the 2001 banger with Reese Witherspoon. What? Like it's hard? What? Like it's hard? And it was featured on the film soundtrack under the title A Thousand Miles in parentheses interlude. Compromise. Yes. It seems that this was a compromise. And the final title of the song A Thousand Miles was based on a suggestion by Ron Fair, again, the president of a Records, his nephew. 
He yeah. went to the youths. He took a little informal <laughs> poll. So Ron was really nervous, not just about the song's name, but also that the song, you know, because it started with this piano riff, that it might not seem like a banger at first. Like he didn't want mm. people to hear it and be like, oh, it's classical music and like skip. So he played the song for his boss, the legend that is Jimmy Iovine, a.k.a. co-chairman of Interscope Geffen a well, Jimmy loved the song and he was like, we need a music video right now. So I just think it's pretty amazing how all these dominoes are following immediately as soon as mm. people hear this song. Even her own mom, they knew that this was going to be something huge. Once the video was done, one of the big wigs at MTV saw it and he was like, I need to start playing this immediately. And this is when Vanessa's album was still in production at the time. Her image hadn't even been developed yet. So our girl was popping before she even had a full record. So in other words, they had no idea what the full album would even sound like. They had no idea what they were going to market her as, who they wanted to mold her into. But they knew that this song was Fire Flames and they served it up to us on a silver platter. And for that, we are so grateful. So A Thousand Miles became obviously an instant hit. It peaked in the top five on the Billboard 100 and went on to become the sixth most played mm. song of the year. It garnered Grammy Award nominations for Record of the Year, Song of the Year, and Best Instrumental Arrangement Accompanying Vocalist. It was just low-key crazy. This was her only top 20 hit. It also, the music video had to be retired on TRL. <sighs> like, that's how beloved this song was. Was this music video the one of her on the piano, like on a truck or whatever? Yeah, and it's bringing her like through the city and all these different places. Yes. She was accused of using a green screen and she was like, no, it was all real. Oh, okay. I trust whatever she says. But like, that's crazy. I just think of the longevity of this song. And every time I hear it, I always just think of Terry Crews and White <laughs> yeah. Chicks. Like, I just cannot. But, like, her impact. I also loved on this album how she covered the Rolling Stones song, Paint It Black. Also read that she played the piano on all of her tracks on this album, just, like, Michelle played guitar and she was like a writer on every single song besides the Stones cover. She's just a true artiste. She is. And because of that, I think that's why a lot of the critics that you even mentioned, you know, compared her first mm. hit song to Michelle Branches Everywhere. Because who are these amazing, talented women just coming out of nowhere, <laughs> playing their own instruments, writing their own songs? taking control of their own sound. I don't think that that was something that we got a lot of in the early 2000s from like pop women. Yeah. So we got two more singles off this album, Ordinary Day. Which is so good. Any thoughts on this one? It was not necessarily my favorite, but I get why it did so well. It's just a song, just an ordinary song. But then we got <laughs> Pretty Baby. Do you like this one? I liked this one better. This was a good one. I liked Pretty Baby. Don't you leave me. But yeah, to me, I mean, it had to have been... A Thousand Miles. That was clear, far and away, the best song on the album. Mm -hmm. So she went on a tour opening for the Goo Goo Dolls and Third Eye Blind. Oh my God, I want them to go back on tour. That sounds so fun. <laughs> and then she went headlining her own at the end of 2002. And then she went to Europe in 2003. So 2004, a lot of pressures on her. She mm -hmm. is dropping her second album, Harmonium. And uh, I'm really sorry to say this, but this album was a big fat flop commercially. Uh. It didn't crack the Billboard charts. It didn't sell anywhere near the first album and it only got one single, which also didn't crack the Billboard charts. So kind of a disappointment. Another layer that makes this sort of interesting is that she co-wrote some of the album with Stephen Jenkins, who's the lead singer of Third Day Blind. He produced the album and he was also her boyfriend. Oh. Why did she let that man into her process? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry to that man, but I don't know if that was the right choice for her. Oh, good point. So this, I mean, obviously he's super successful. I'm just trying to find someone to blame that isn't Vanessa. Of course. <laughs> but this album wasn't a total failure because I'll give credit where it's due. It gave us the masterpiece that is White Houses. It's I am in love with this song. I just want to pretend to be a ballerina in an empty beach house. Like, it it gives me all the good feelings. What do you think about it, Mayor? I just have the most vivid memories of, like, my whole team screaming this song on the soccer bus, like, back in high school when we were going, like, to away games. It was such a unique song, but, like, super upbeat, more so than, like, some of her other songs. Like, Ordinary Day, I didn't think was, like, super upbeat, but it, it just, like, hit different. In the words of Taylor Swift. It felt more optimistic, I yes. think. Even though it was yes. about kind of a heavy subject. Summer is all in bloom. Summer is ending soon. It's all right. It's all too sweet to last. It's all right. Like, I yes. love how she, like, crescendos and you feel the emotion. And, oh, it's just so good. I also read that MTV censored and later banned the White House's music video because, like, of a controversial lyric in this song that refers to sex. And Vanessa attributed this censoring to the Super Bowl 38 halftime show controversy involving our love, Janet Jackson, which had occurred only a year prior. Like, what? Like, the selective outrage, like, this is what MTV chooses to ban a lyric about sex. Like, do you remember the rap music we listened to back in the day? People were on TRL. Like, give me a break. (laughs) They were censoring anyone. It should have been, like, Eminem. Do you know what lyric they're... I couldn't, like... Yeah, they're talking about my first time, hard to explain. That's it? Basically, it's like, I always think of the scene from The Notebook. They have sex finally in the empty house. Like, they're losing their virginity to each other. That's what I think of. I am outraged that Also, that's the way that she's talking about losing her virginity. That's, like, really sweet. Like, a fond memory that it seems like she's looking back on where everyone's talking about, like, bitches and hoes. (laughs) Right. Right. Just... Insane. Insane. It was too intimate. It was too beautifully descriptive. It was making people mm-hmm. think of the time they lost their virginity that it really hit a chord. Sorry <laughs> for the sensitive people at MTV. Mm. So aside from that masterpiece, this album just tanked. And Vanessa blamed the poor performance on her record label refusing to promote it. So she left her label in mid-2005, not unlike Michelle Branch. Again, we're seeing some parallels here. This is criminal. So many of the legends we have discussed have gone through this. Right. So where do we go from here? Well, Vanessa's next album came out in 2007, and it was called Heroes and Thieves. And this one didn't do well on the charts, but it did get some pretty good reviews. So it seemed like for the rest of her career, the commercial success, she never found the same level of commercial success Mm. as she did with her debut, her first single. But critically, she seems to be pretty well received. She produced her next two albums independently. There was one in 2011 called Rabbits on the Run and another called Lieberman in 2015. And gonna be honest, I didn't listen to them. (laughs) And her latest album dropped pretty recently in 2020. It's called Love is an Art. But most people may have seen her most recently when she made her Broadway debut in 2019 playing Hmm. Carol King in the musical Beautiful. I had no idea. That's so cool. I know. So she's a talented queen. And I feel like if you can sing on Broadway or perform on Broadway, you can do anything. Like those are the Mm. true superstars in my mind. And now you can see Vanessa on tour with Allie and AJ because she's opening for them. I know. I saw them on tour a few months ago and Allie and AJ are just perfection. I'm really bummed that I didn't get to see Vanessa open too. But here's some fun, random personal notes about Vanessa's life. In 2013, she married John McCauley, who is in a band called Deer Tick, which, mm, (laughs) Lyme disease. Like, what's going Mm. on? Mm. 
And the ceremony was officiated by the Stevie Nicks, who we know was a huge inspiration to our girl, Michelle. I just feel like there's so many weird parallels. There's a Venn diagram out there where Vanessa and Michelle meet in the middle, you know? Wait, are they friends? Like, I need to know if they're, like, at least, like, friendly. They They should be. Like, the Pop 2000s tour, but we do, like, Michelle and Vanessa and, like, Third Eye Blind. We'll have to see how they ended their relationship. I don't know if it was like... Oh, right. I forgot. Friendly or not. NVM. NVM. We'll come up with a third. NVM. (laughs) So in 2015, the couple welcomed a daughter, and now she lives in Rhode Island as a New England queen of the keys. So we love that for Vanessa. And that's all we have about Vanessa and Michelle. But we have some more tea for you in the form of reading our latest rating you guys are the best thank you so much for giving us five stars and leaving your sweet reviews so this one is from annie shirem like sheeran but with an r and an m instead Annie left us a super sweet five-star review. She said, I'm absolutely loving this podcast. Reliving some of my tween and teen years is so fun, and I relate to Kelsey and Mary so much. I am so glad Y2K pop culture is still going strong. Three stars emoji, my favorite emoji of all time. Thank you so much, Annie, for your sweet review, and thank you all for listening and continuing to give us five stars and leave us fun reviews. If you have any constructive feedback for us, DM us on Instagram or talk about us behind our backs like a real friend. We love you guys for listening so much. Thank you. Have a great week and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.